Since 1971, Beautio Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family-owned and operated mail-order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for, and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. What happens when county birding goes wrong? Now, as I have stated multiple times on this podcast, I do enjoy the county listing. I like the immediacy of it. I like the excitement that goes along with adding a new bird to my home county or a nearby county list, especially if I find it, which is a thing that happens more often with county listing than with state or ABA listing where I'm sort of I am more beholden to the efforts of other birders. I wrote a whole essay about it in the book, Good Birders Still Don't Wear White. You can follow me deep down that rabbit hole there if you're interested. So it was with some interest that I read an account that made its way around the birdosphere about a little bit of county birding gone wrong in Southern California regarding a short-tailed albatross. And I had a couple of people hit me on social media and an email about talking about this. And I'll be honest, I've been of two minds about it, sort of resisted it until now. Uh, I'll explain why, but first, I'll give you the facts, lay out the facts as we know them. A short-tailed albatross was noted by a pelagic trip a few kilometers off the beach in Long Beach, California, in June, back in June, three months ago. It's a noteworthy bird just about anywhere on the coast, and especially so in Southern California. They were near extinction not all that long ago. It is technically speaking a vulnerable species, according to the IUCN. It's very exciting. An impromptu pelagic was scrambled the next day. A bunch of people went out, refound it, which is notable enough for a pelagic bird. Photos were taken. Ebird lists were eagerly submitted. By all accounts, it was a pleasant time at sea with a cool and rare bird. But then stories started coming out, first on the LA listserv, then more widely afterwards, of potentially untoward behavior, unethical behavior. Namely, using popcorn, which is commonly used as chum for pelagics in the West, uh, because it floats, makes it easier to follow your, your, your slick. To lure this albatross a few miles north so that it could be ticked in both Orange County and Los Angeles County. County listing, it's a big deal in California. And as sort of fuel to this fire, maybe not a great metaphor for, for California, how about a steady drip of menhaden oil to this growing flock of angry shearwaters? Uh, photos suggested that this bird had some issues on its wings, some matted feathers, It was reportedly reluctant to fly, though that can be an albatross thing. In any case, the initial response was that it was a case of birders behaving badly. And I don't disagree with that, but I I also think that there's more nuance here than just that. I I think in terms of the welfare of the bird, maybe it's not something I can speak to. Birds drift on the ocean across miles and miles and miles. There was no indication that the bird itself was stressed because of this relatively small detour in the life of a short-tailed albatross. And popcorn as a food source, it's not great, but it's it's probably neutral so long as it's not the only source of food that a bird is getting. And there's no indication that it wasn't able to feed on its own. So why is this relevant now? It's been three months, right? Well, this past week, the bird was seen again, recognizable because of that matted wing further north, up around San Francisco. There were some reports that it was even visible from shore, which is remarkable. But this time of year, there's a lot of wildlife watching, traffic, whale watchers, pelagic birders in that part of the country. And it should be noted a lot more county line confusion. So 
please, let's not have a repeat of the L.A. County incident, even if the bird does not appear to be any worse for wear because of it. We certainly don't want an incident where this bird begins to prefer chum slicks to natural food. We don't want it brought to a rehabber. We want it to do its own natural thing. Because, I mean, let's just say it. What happened then, it was it was just dumb. And I think it portrays birders as this sort of list-crazy, status-seeking group of people that perhaps we can be in our worst moments. It, it takes away focus from the joy of people seeing this incredible bird, the experience of sharing that moment with a bunch of like-minded people, of celebrating the conservation success of a species such that a wandering youngster can turn up in a place where we can see it. Hopefully, this is only the beginning of short-tailed albatrosses on the Pacific coast. I, you know, that's, that's the fun stuff. That's the good stuff. That's the stuff that we all, we all really want to be promoting. I, you know, whether or not you consider the real or potential impact of the individual bird, the legality of the situation, it's safe to say it was dumb. And I don't think that the chummers are bad people who want to hurt birds. I, they are people who let their geekiness get in the way of their better judgment and I don't like, but for the grace of wisdom, the aged Laison albatross, go any of us. Now, birding is nearly always a positive pro-conservation activity. I think the community largely reflects that. But sometimes we don't, and, and I hate it when that stuff gets focused on. So people are monitoring this situation. People are paying attention to this short-tailed albatross. Let's be better. Whew. All right. That was that. Let's get to the fun stuff. Ted Floyd is back. We're going to dust off the bird list, the random number generator, talk about some random birds, all that after this week's records. This is your rare bird focus for the whole middle of September 2021. This time of year, we frequently look to Alaska for exciting East Asian vagrants and gamble on the island of St. Lawrence has been producing warblers in spades for the last couple weeks. Multiple dusky warblers, a common chiff-chaff, a willow warbler, and the highlight of the season so far, a Middendorf's grasshopper warbler, which makes up for its relatively subtle appearance by having the longest name on the ABA checklist alongside Northern Beardless Terranulate. The ABA's eighth record of variegated flycatcher was photographed in Marion County, Florida earlier this month. An austral migrant variegated flycatcher has a pretty incredible scattershot of records around the ABA area with previous sightings in Maine, Ontario, Washington, and Tennessee, though this is the third for Florida, which is quickly becoming the expected variegated flycatcher hotspot such that a thing like that can't exist. Two first records to report, New York's first record of Snowy Plover, a long overdue one for sure, was seen in Oswego, and as if to mock those who say that the Patagonia picnic table effect isn't real, a common ringed plover was found at the same spot by snowy searchers soon after. And in Dubaca, New Mexico, the ABA's easternmost record of yellow-footed gull, a species commonly associated with the disappearing Salton Sea, is a state first. Interestingly, it showed up alongside Arizona's second record of that species, both first-year birds. Those are the rare bird highlights for the last couple weeks. Thanks for bearing with us while we skipped last week. For all the updates from across the U.S. and Canada and occasionally St. Pierre, make it alone. Check out the ABA's Rare Bird Alert every Friday at aba.org slash rba. You can also join our rarity sharing group on Facebook, ABA Rare Bird Alert, or follow us on Twitter at ABA Bird Alert. I'm joined today by a man who needs no introduction, at least not to regular listeners. It is my colleague, Birding Magazine editor, 
or or co-editor now, is it? Are we allowed to, to talk about yeah, that? Yeah, I think uh, we're allowed to talk about that. This would have been a work in progress. Uh, Michael Redder, of course, has been uh, at my side for a long time mm-hmm. uh, doing the special issues. And now uh, Frankie Zagiri uh, has joined the team. Yeah. So we have three editors at Birding Magazine now. Wow, spreading out. No, it's good. It's always nice to have, you know, more voices. And, and mm-hmm. not that you haven't done a phenomenal job in your 20 years, 20 plus years now. No, that no, you've been almost in. 20. We'll almost 20 years. 19 going on 19. 20. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, more voices always is uh, appreciated, I suppose. And For uh, sure. you know, Michael yeah. and, and Frank do a fantastic job. But well, that I digress. We can talk about <laughs> that, what, where your career has taken you on a, in a, another episode. But um, Very good. We, for now, we're going to do uh, Random Birds. Um, as, a, as a bit of a background for people who may not know, there's, there's a sports website that I read regularly. As some, some people might know it's called Defector. And they do this thing uh, from time to time called Let's Remember Some Guys, uh, in which a couple of the writers sit down in front of a camera and just like randomly open packs of 80s, 90s era baseball cards <laughs> and just kind of pull cards out and just like talk about the guys that come up. Um, it kind of hits me in the real nostalgia part of my brain because that's like my my youth and my childhood and the guys that I remember. Uh, we do something similar to that. All right, let's remember some birds. I guess I don't want to you know run afoul of any copyright mm-hmm. uh, any copyright issues, but uh, we're calling it random birds. Uh, but before we get going, um, Ted, how's how's your birding been lately? Well, it's it's fall migration. I think yeah, the last yeah. time we spoke, it was sort of uh, the. Uh, the kind of quasi subtle lead up to fall migration. You know, it was like in July when at least yeah, here in yeah. Colorado, the first of the shorebirds and mm-hmm. uh, hummingbirds were coming through and some of the molt migrants. But I mean, th- this is the real deal now. Yeah, uh, yeah. We've just hit that uh, mid month inflection point, which to me is sort of, you know, the beginning of the second half of the fall migration. I had my yes. first uh, yellow rump warbler uh, oh, wow. just, just uh, two days ago down here in the lowlands. But that is mm-hmm. to say uh, yesterday evening had a marvelous, uh, as Frank Izagiri speaks, of whom would say a vismic visible migration of franklin's gulls going over the procession lasted close to half an hour and there were a common nighthawks mixed in with them which i just thought was so cool night nighthawks and franklin's gulls well you come to think that they sort of eat the same sort of thing they eat the same thing (laughs) and and they go to the same place you know they're extremely long distance migrants and uh, i love the idea i could pure conjecture here but you know that these nighthawks and franklin's gulls you know passing over colorado now will uh, stick together until they hit <laughs> peru or something like that i have no way of knowing that that would be uh, the case but yeah they, what is they, a what is a nighthawk if not a skinny dark franklin's gull yeah really? yeah you know, and skinny for sure i actually after i saw the two together yesterday evening i'd never really thought of them in the same breath like that i actually just looked up some stats on yeah i was gonna say like uh, their wingspan strikes me as something that might be very similar so here's the deal it, it this is just birds are so cool so the wingspan of a common nighthawk is two feet it's 24 inches yeah but they weigh only two ounces yeah they are so light i mean uh, and for anybody who's you know held a bird you know uh, either a specimen of course you know has the innards taken out but you know a a live bird at a banding station or something i mean no matter how many times you do it you're struck by how light they are but you're to to me a nighthawk you know it's a big bird whipping around up there catching huge moths and making big sounds and audible at like you know a quarter Mm. of a mile it weighs two ounces (laughs) that's like warbler light yeah yeah (laughs) A small, oh, uh, large yeah, Frank, Franklin skulls are a, a bit longer winged and, and quite a bit yeah. heavier, actually. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, I just sort of think about them as uh, is uh, as doing very similar things. Although we don't get very many Franklin skulls here in North Carolina, right? right. Um, it's a bit bit far east of their main migration. But you know, if the winds are right, 
there'll be a there'll be a morning where there's Franklin's goals on a lot of the on the reservoirs and stuff. But we can talk about it more if Franklin's goal pops up I, in our. And <laughs> I was I was going to say that the, of course the, your your uh, Leucophius goal the, the laughing goal is very yeah. similar. I mean they also catch insects uh, and spiders actually uh, hmm. in the air, which is which is cool. Oh, huh, that's cool. Well, anyway, this is the second time we've done this random birds mm-hmm. segment, um, and what I have done is collected all of the the species on the North Carolina and Colorado checklist and look for the common ones. By that, I mean common, uh, the one the same species that are on both lists. The birds aren't necessarily common uh, themselves in the in the birderly parlance. But um, I've listed them all in taxonomic order, and I will use a, a random number generator to pick a number, and that will be a bird. And then we will we'll talk about it. We'll remember some birds. So uh, I pulled up my list that I had made last time we did we did this, Ted, and um, I noted that I did not mark off the ones that we talked about last time. Oh, okay. So I had to go back through and um, try and remember. Um, there were like five or six species. I may, I, I think I have most of them. I might have missed a couple. If that happens, then we'll just skip on by. Or if you have something new to add. I was going to say, it might be funny to compare and contrast and see how much of our <laughs> right. impressions have changed since right. the last time we yeah, did maybe, this. Yeah, right? maybe so. Well, we'll see. We'll let the random number generator um, do its thing. Okay. All right, let's hit it. Generate. 339, so down to the bottom, it is northern water thrush. People are seeing a lot of northern water thrushes these days. That is a species that pops up on um, What's This Bird on our Facebook group uh, a lot right now. I think we're kind of in the peak of northern water thrush migration. I don't know if that's true in Colorado. It certainly is true here in the east. Yeah, so northern water thrush has this, um, I don't know, sort of aura about it as as an eastern warbler. Mm -hmm. Um, It's our most common eastern warbler in hmm. Colorado, so much so that it's really not an eastern warbler. It's a perfectly <laughs> regular, although uncommon, migrant in spring and fall. Yeah, where do you draw that line? Like, where does a bird become an yeah, eastern also, so, bird? So, I call, like should, a common bird or uncommon? Like, so where you, do you... You might have thought that was a rhetorical question, but there's a yeah. great paper, uh, probably 25 years ago in, in Western Birds, that uh, quantified what it is that makes something a vagrant versus a regular migrant. Yeah. And I, I, I think northern water thrush would actually count as a regular migrant in yeah, Colorado, yeah. even though it's always fun to see one. Um, so yeah, I think we're pretty much right around the time of the peak flight, such as it is of northern water thrushes in Colorado, maybe, maybe a bit earlier, maybe more sort of like, you know, August 30th, September 1st, somewhere um, around there. Oh, I should note that uh, they've bred in the state uh, in a very sort mm. of inaccessible part of the north central part of the state, but I know I'm going way afield here. I saw a quiz the other day um, that you may have seen it too, but um, oh, one of the, uh, the big names in Baja, California birding, I can't remember. Um, Listed the second and third most abundant birds he'd seen on migration. I think I, you know, I want to say like yellow warbler and orange crown. I may be wrong about that. And the, the question was, what was the what was the most numerous he'd seen? It was northern water thrush. So Baja. It, huh. I'd seen more northern water thrushes uh, this fall, or maybe, maybe it was that particular day. But I think it was like nine water thrushes, and I, I'm sorry I can't remember two and three. But you know, I want to say something like you know, five yellows and four yellow. Be careful about which yellow throat it is. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, yeah, so they really do um, get regularly, you know quite far west and um i'd call them a an uncommon regular migrant spring and fall in colorado but always a thrill to see yeah it certainly seems to be the case those uh you know it's a very long distance migrant if i recall correctly like it's one of those northern south america migrants isn't it or no more like middle america middle america yeah but yeah some some of them get down there yeah yeah Yeah. I, i was thinking like you know those seem to be the most likely vagrants because when they when they end up going off course they go way way off course like they're inclined to to really screw up, whereas uh, you know a short distance migrant like say 
oh, I don't know, Orange Crown Warbler or whatever is, is less likely to do so. Not that Orange Crown Warbler is particularly a vagrant anywhere, maybe <laughs> anywhere in North America, but we, we have a lot of questions about whether it's a northern water thrush or a Louisiana water thrush, oh, certainly yes, in this part of, the, part of the country this mm-hmm. time of year. And um, it's actually a much easier, um, much easier identification than many people give it credit for because they're, they're, you're trying to pick out all the little subtle plumage mm-hmm. Differences, but the fact of the matter is, is, you know, Louisiana white water thrush is such an early migrant. Time, yeah, time. They are mostly gone by the end of August. So any water thrush that you see, at least in most of the continent, South Florida, excepting uh, as it is for a lot of things, is going to be northern water thrush in September because the Louisianas are out of here. Yeah, there's a crazy twist on that, by the way, in the uh, in the desert Southwest, especially mm-hmm. think of southeastern Arizona, and of course also um, in northwestern Mexico, where the Louisiana water thrushes actually sort of uh, curl back up into the Sierra Madre really? and become the more expected of the two water thrushes in Arizona, mm-hmm. so southeastern Arizona um, of all places. By the way, you know both are quite uncommon, but right. yeah, I think if you have like a, a winter water thrush. In um, southeastern Arizona, and anybody, our Arizona callers can ca- call and correct me if I'm wrong here, but certainly <laughs> in the Sierra Madres, you know, getting down you know, farther south into Chihuahua, um, I believe it's going to be Louisiana water thrush. And um, in Chihuahua State, which, you know, of course, borders the ABA area, it's a long, tall state. It's, it's quite long. I realize mm-hmm. that. But um, it's actually not uncommon in winter, which I think huh. is so surprising to a lot of people. Yeah. They, they overlap in their winter let me see, I'm going to pull out my warbler. Yeah, I, I'm, like, so wait, I, I've seen them side by side, like in West Mexico, you know, farther, yeah. farther south than Chihuahua. Right. Mm-hmm. Huh. Oh, that's interesting. Shall we uh, put it on the random number generator yep, again? And I'm going to be sure to note that one. Um, let me just uh, make a quick. Hey, while you're doing that, just a, a comment. Um, you, you, um, just uh, in case the readers are wondering, that, that number 386 is, uh, uh, this is probably obvious, but it's the number of species shared in common between yes. our two lists. We, and we talked about the last time. It's really impressive because, you yeah, know, there's a lot. I, I don't want to <laughs> dismiss the, uh, the North Carolina list out of hand, but, you know, that's getting to a pretty sizable fraction of the North Carolina list, actually. It is. You know, the yeah. North Carolina list is of uh, 480 something yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, um, that's just shy of 100. Yeah. Um, right. yeah common so it's it's a lot of birds uh it's nice because it is a a wide swath of birds from all over the continent so we're odds are we're going to get one that uh that a lot of people will can uh, can connect with yep uh anyway generator again 280 that moves up um still in passerines that Mm -hmm. is american pipit oh yes one of the more uh widespread species in north america and uh for my money the like a real watershed bird in people's birding experiences and skill. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. Um, once you realize how common they are, you will find them everywhere. Once you recognize that sort of deep, 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 the, the flight call and uh, you see them flying over in weird places. And yeah, I, um, I had an article on birding eons ago <laughs> about just that, about sort of the, uh, the phenomenon of, uh, you know, believing is seeing is, is mm. once you learn that pipit flight call and some other aspects of the biology, they suddenly are, are everywhere. Um, that actually came up for me just a few days ago. I was again, uh, corresponding with Frank Izaguri about, uh, flight displays mm-hmm. and, the famous flight display for the ABA area pipits is, of course, the Sprague's pipits flight mm-hmm. display. The American pipit has an awesome flight display. Oh, really? I, didn't I, know. I, I, I didn't see. Know. There you go. You didn't know. Yeah, it. Well, it's, it's <laughs> very much a uh, cold season bird. Right, right, right. And um, 
and I just I did not know that until you know sort of embarrassingly late in my own birding uh, career. So it's not you know objectively quite as astonishing as the Sprague's Pipit's uh, you know towering flight display, but it's a really impressive display over the here, here in Colorado over the tundra mm-hmm. uh, in in early June. It's very short lived, just just like uh, Sprague's Pipit's you know just a, just a few weeks actually, um, and then they just go back to you know walking around on the tundra like Pipit's. Hmm. What is, can you describe it? Is it it's uh, similar to Sprague's Pipit? They yeah, go up in the air so and they don't, no, Yeah, so that's the difference. They don't get yeah. nearly as high up right. okay. as as Sprague's Pipit. But yeah, it's um it's very loud. It's this sort of this this pulsing chip 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 twee 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 blee 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 blee. It just goes on and on and on uh, like that, and then the birds come down to the to the ground. So I mean, if I had to, you know you know, spend the rest of my life with only one Pippet flight display. Yes, I would go with Sprague <laughs> among the ABA areas. I'm ABA perfect. Yeah, 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 but, but um, I just, you know, this, so the American Pippet is, is worth um, watching uh, and listening to as well. And, you know, anybody who's, you know, for example, Rocky Mountain National Park in the summer months, well, I should say in June, that's really when they're, when they're doing it, mm-hmm. uh, can just, you know, step outside their car. Yeah, you don't even have to leave the parking lot up on Trail Ridge Drive there and you'll see, see and hear displaying Pippets. Hmm. What's your take on the uh, the name controversy with uh, American Pippet? So obviously, in the old world, it, it is one of those birds that has like an old world, new world split on the right. name. Whereas it's known as buff bellied Pippet over yeah. in uh, Europe. So, and I think, and again, somebody can call me and call call us and correct me in the taxonomy. Send a, send so it, it all used to be yeah. the water Pippet, right? I think yes, the whole that's right. Was just the yeah. wa- water Pippet, uh, and then the. Um, I think so I have an old golden guide. You probably Chandler so. Robbins gold yeah, guide yeah. that has a water pivot. Yeah. Yep. So 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 now I'm I'm actually better with these sort of embarrassing these these scientific names but the, you know this japonica american mm-hmm. pipit you know which is uh, regular in in the uh, Bering Sea area uh, here in the ABA area. So um in terms of the the names for the birds I don't know there's something sort of uh, evocative about water pipit i don't mm-hmm. know they, they really do hang out around the water's edge i probably would have come up with something a little, <laughs> american and buff valley are okay they're just not yeah they're not bad names they're just not you know powerfully evocative names either yeah your your, your comments there um put me in mind of, of two memories of of this species uh the first uh, the japonicus um, oh, sorry, Japonicus. Japonicus, Japonica, I can't remember. Japonica, I forget it as well. In, in any <laughs> case, um, when I was on an ABA trip, helping out with an ABA trip on mm. St. Paul Island in the Bering Sea, uh, you know, obviously one of the one of the things you want to look for when you're driving around those dirt-rutted roads are um, pipits, like yep. olive-backed and, um, and sure. red-throated and things right, like that. Right. Um, and we saw a pipit that we were trying to turn into olive-backed, and it was, it was the Japonicus. It was the East Asian yeah. uh, buff-bellied slash American slash water pippet and um yeah i mean it's 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 a different looking bird like it's uh it's quite a bit darker it's uh one that causes at least someone like me who is familiar with the the pale you know buff bellied classic buff bellied birds um it, it looks a lot different like yeah, it's, and, it's one you might confuse for something like and my impression is that the the split is not the split itself the biology the taxonomy yeah. is not controversial i, I could be wrong about that but i, yeah, I, got I don't the, know yeah yeah and I, I should also note by the way that within the heart and soul, the core of the ABA areas. I'm getting away from these Bering seabirds now. Mm-hmm. We also have variation uh, in our mm-hmm. pipits. So, for example, you know the, the birds that um, oh that breed like on uh, uh, Mount Katahdin in, in Maine, or you know across you know the, the whole eastern shield of, of Canada are not the same subspecies as the, uh, the as the Rocky Mountain breeders. So yeah. that's another part of the story too. Yeah, and the, and the second thing was that uh, you know you, you mentioned the appropriateness of water pipit. My first impression was, well, I always see these birds in like fallow fields and. Uh, 
you know, overturned sod and what have you. But uh, one of one of my most memorable experiences with American pivots, where I actually saw them in trees, which was very strange, um, was on the edge of a a lake, a reservoir that was really low, and so there was these large exposed mud flats, and they were just hopping around right on the edge of the water. So maybe water pipit is an appropriate name. Yeah, same here. I mean, I could actually go with tundra pipit, honestly, and like yeah. where I see so many of them. But yeah, the birds that I see away from the breeding grounds are as likely to be at the water's edge mm-hmm. as anywhere else. Hey, that rec- calls to mind the uh, you know the name shore lark in other parts oh, of the, yeah, the speaking world for, for, for horned lark. Yeah. Mm. All right. All right. Uh, maybe the random number generator will put something up closer to the beginning of the list. You never time. know. Um, 40. Oh, man. Can I call it or what? Um, 40 puts us in the ducks. It is, wait, we didn't talk about this one before. Redbreast and Merganser. We didn't talk about Redbreast and Merganser before, did we? Even if we did, I'm happy to talk okay, about the Okay, fair enough. I don't recall talking about I don't remember breast. either. The yeah. Crazy, crazy-faced Merganser. The one with the weirdest, wildest-looking head. Yeah, and it's sort of the weirdest, wildest Merganser period for us in, in Colorado. The, the common breeds in the state um mm-hmm. the uh the hooded is uh has become a member of the breeding avifauna of the state the red-breasted is doesn't breed anywhere near colorado and for mm-hmm. that matter doesn't breed anywhere near uh, north carolina either so um you know to me it's sort of like this poor man's sea duck almost yes. um you know it's it's the most marine of the of the mergansers and i know it's not quite as thrilling as seeing a scoter or a salmon's gull or something but you know when we see red-breasted mergansers there's a little bit of that you know kind of quasi-pelagic feel yeah. to it. Oh, totally. It, 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 it's yeah. it's a classic species of, you know, if you go out to the Outer Banks or something, or anywhere on the eastern shore, or the eastern the Atlantic coast, um, and sea watch for a little bit, you, you see a lot of red-breasted mergansers flying by in the winter. Hey, I'm totally cheating, but um, I did mention common mergansers. Yeah, can't why not? Re- yeah. Resist them, because it came up at actually at a, a field trip I was leading just a week ago. So um, common mergansers, you know, I think are known to breed um, by many people, you know, um, in like a cavities along you know snags along the rivers and um lakes and even bird boxes um in the part of colorado i was in they um they nest uh way up way 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 up in um steep um sandstone and granite cliffs hundreds of feet high really um yeah alongside like uh, golden eagles prairie falcons wow uh, ma- mountain lions and white-throated swifts which is just so cool yeah so they're way way up there and um the uh, the youngest, you know, they get booted for the, from the nest by the hens, and they they plop 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 down hundreds of um a feet down these uh, cliff sides huh. uh, into the woods, and then the um the mother flops down after them and ushers them to the nearest water body. But yeah, I just think it's so cool that you know you're looking up there scanning for white-throated swifts and prairie falcons, and like oh yeah, there's a common merganser going to her nest. <laughs> That's wild. They they nest here in North Carolina as well. Uh, common mergans, I should say, not red breasted. Right, right. Um, the, in the in the mountains in the Appalachians, um, where they are, and, and someone pointed this out to me recently on on Facebook or somewhere that um, they're very much a uh, like the North American version of torrent duck. Yeah, you know, the yeah. torrent duck that uh, you know famously Andean duck species that lives in these sort of wild rapids. Um, we have we have rivers that are similar to that in um, in the Appalachians in the Southern Appalachians, and that is where common mergansers breed. They, they nest in, you know, tree hollows there. And then if you go to some of the out of the way, um, rivers like, uh, Nantahala and, uh, stuff like that out in the Western part of the state, um, chances are you're going to find 
common regansers with little babies following yeah, it's, around. It, it's always <laughs> speaking of the little babies. It, it's always comical, but also kind of like impressive to uh, to watch a uh, a hen with you know sometimes you know because the, the the egg dumping there could be you know, yeah, fifteen yeah, or twenty yeah. birds following her swimming upstream against this you know yeah. raging mountain <laughs> yeah, totally. uh, torrent. Hey, by the way, just real quickly, I will say I totally agree with everything you said here, but I, I would also include the uh, harlequin duck. Um, oh yeah, as, yeah, a, yeah. as a candidate species for Certainly the area area torrent in duck. color. Yeah, yeah plumage yeah. similarities. Yeah. Yeah, we we do okay with torrent ducks. Uh, torrent ducks are really cool, but uh, yeah, harlequin duck hard hard to beat a harlequin duck yep. for sure. Yeah. Um, another kind of winter sea duck here, <laughs> where I live yeah, in yeah. the uh, in the Atlantic. I learned from a fifteen uh, year old birder uh, just a week ago. I was shocked by this. That and I, I, but I haven't I haven't fact checked this, but I think the guy really knows what he's talking about. There are only two Colorado records. Of harlequin duck and you know they, they breed next door to us in in, really? in wyoming yeah I, I would have if you had said you know today without my having spoken to a noah brinkman if you're out there noah <laughs> uh, um you know how many colorado records are there of harlequin duck i would have said well i've never seen one but you know double digits and um it's strictly accidental here despite the fact that they breed within a couple hundred miles of us. wow that's wild yeah. you know speaking of really weird records that you wouldn't have expected um just this week uh, New York got its first record of snowy plover. I, I couldn't and like, believe it kind of that. blew I, my mind. I would have thought that New York, I mean, because New York has everything. Yeah, right. Would have had, and you know, I know Pennsylvania has, you know, snowy plover, and mm-hmm. I would have thought that, you know, New York would be better poised to be in coastal than, yeah. um, than, mm-hmm. um, than Pennsylvania. Apparently, I, I, New Jersey and Delaware don't have it either, which I, is no, so see, strange because that, cause, that like, amazes me. I would have thought, I know, right? Boat, I would, both of those states would have had it too. So yeah, huh. yeah. I mean, there was a period here in North Carolina where snowy plover was uh, annual. They haven't mm-hmm. been in, in several years, but uh, you know, they they winter in Florida. It seems sure. so reasonable that they would well, be not so uncommon up the coast. But there you have it. There you have it. Congratulations, New York. Yeah, <laughs> I'm surprised. Yeah, congratulations, New York. But what took you so long? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, all right, let's hit the random number generator, even though we talked about five or six different. <laughs> I <in this>. know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just crossing off red breast and merganser. Okay. All right. 265 back down into the passerines. Passerines. Do you say passerines or passerines? Actually, I say passerines. Passerines. Oh, but that's okay. <laughs> anyway, here's one of them. Uh, 265 is Eastern Bluebird, hmm. which is our state bird. No, it's not. It's North no. Carolina. Oh, right. Missouri. I grew up in Missouri. Gotcha. Yeah, no, the, 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 card, the cardinal and the dogwood York. are yeah. your estate uh, bird that and your state flower. And yes. I know that because they're completely redundant with Virginia's, which are also the uh, I know. state I think they would have had a little more. I know, you but. guys. All right. Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Eastern Bluebird, boy, uh, hard to come up with a more ubiquitous species here. Uh, mm. Anywhere where there's a, even a little bit of open open land. I mean, This is probably the first species that we've talked about that breeds in my yard. And I don't have a particularly birdie, uh, birdie yard, but I have baby eastern bluebirds on my fence, on my deck railing every every summer. I don't know where they breed. There's got to be some box or snag somewhere nearby, but they always end up here. And uh, yeah, lo- love an eastern bluebird. Everyone loves an eastern bluebird. Yeah, I think everybody loves an, an eastern bluebird. And I think that's true in, in, in Colorado, too. Um because Colorado is so far west, I think there's this idea that, well, you know, the western bluebird and you know, mm-hmm. the mountain bluebird must be um, the more common species. That's actually not the case across a fair bit of, of Colorado, certainly uh, in eastern Colorado in the summer months. It's, eastern is the only bluebird you would find, and there are cir- circumstances um, in winter when eastern bluebird would outnumber um, mountain or, or especially western bluebird. Uh, they actually breed sparingly all the way to the foothills, and there are records of breeders actually west of the Continental Divide. So um, 
I know it's the easternmost of the three bluebirds, but it's not it's not a rare bird in Colorado. It, it, it's yeah. actually you can find it in double digits fairly far east, and it's uh, certainly possible anywhere in the state. So how would you how would you rank the bluebirds? One, two, three. It really depends on the time of year and the. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean like and, personally, and, like which oh, one do you prefer? Oh, 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 oh I see. <laughs> so I have to uh, I have to make a shout out here to um, to Wayne Peterson if if he's out there. Wayne and yeah. I were uh, birding out in, um, of course, you know, Eastern Massachusetts, where he's the, the dean of Eastern Massachusetts birding uh, years ago, and I it was a um I want to say it was a Mass Audubon outing. I'm I'm, I'm uh, actually not sure, but um, we came upon a just a glorious uh, Eastern bluebird I, I mean just perfectly radiant in the late winter light and uh wayne sort of uh tormented me about the superiority of the eastern bluebird to the western <laughs> bluebird uh and uh so so i sort of let him have it for eastern versus western i said but you know there is the mountain bluebird yeah. and uh, wayne had to yield that the mountain blue bird is even more radiantly sky blue than than any uh than any eastern bluebird um the eastern bluebirds are quote unquote rarity even though it's not rare so it's sort of the one that i think maybe stirs my heart the most plus mm-hmm. like you i grew up with the, the eastern bluebird yeah. i don't know though that the midnight blue of the western is glorious um i'm but, i mean they're all they're all clearly top tier thrushes like they're 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 great birds um yeah. and i think i think eastern bluebird i think for a lot of birders in the east they probably put eastern bluebird as the third uh, if only oh, because of due the to, ubiquity. Due to rarity, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, mountain bluebirds, we don't get to see very many. And there's, there's something really fantastic about a sky blue bluebird and a sky yeah. blue, you know, northern Rockies environment. I mean, that's just a, a magical place. And I have not seen very many western bluebirds. In fact, I don't. And western bluebird might actually be a, a blank spot on my on my life list. I have to check. But the mm. fact that I can't remember it probably does not uh, bode well for my for my having yeah, it. it seems it, like a bird a, that I would remember, but um, it's a bird with a wacky distribution. And again, yeah. it's, it's you, you, so just so the listeners know, like there is no rehearsal for anything Nate or, or saying at all. So <laughs> we're just talking all. out of thin air. Yep. But um, so so Matt Fraker, if you're out there, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this. But the um, the western bluebird is like shockingly rare in in Wyoming, which hmm. doesn't make any sense because you know I'm just you know less than 100 miles south of the border, and it's it's a routine sighting uh, for me up here in northern Colorado. So it's a hmm. bird with a weird distribution. Hmm. Uh, throughout the West, you know, absent from swaths of seemingly appropriate habitat, whole, whole regions, and then you'll know, yeah. quite common um, elsewhere. Hey, um, you, uh, just back to the uh, which bluebird do you like most? And again, mm-hmm. obviously, completely subjective. One thing oh, I do want to say in, yeah. in defense of the uh, the uh, the mountain bluebird, um, going back to the um, the piece that Frank Izagiri did on, on visible migration, the, the visible migration of mountain bluebirds in late winter across a uh, sort of broad front of the interior West is just overwhelming it is so amazing mm-hmm. to go out like around uh february 5th february 10th it's the first you know pot passerine that moves in in big numbers uh in in the spring every year for us and it does so during the daytime it's it's a diurnal not a nocturnal migrant mm-hmm. it's just so cool to be like wait on the on the prairie there's nothing out there but you know horned larks and a raven and like a windmill and a you know house that hasn't been inhabited in 100 years and they're just bluebirds moving uh, all day long and that's just so cool and, and and those are all mountains, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, eastern bluebird, obviously, a very common nester, probably in all 100 North Carolina counties. Um, mountain bluebird, we have, I, I want to say, like one record, uh, but it is sort of interesting mm-hmm. thinking about mountain bluebird and eastern bluebird. Um, we chose, uh, we landed on eastern bluebird, but it's impossible mm-hmm. to kind of not take them all sort of collectively here in this sort of situation. But um, we had a situation where where someone reported a mountain bluebird here in North Carolina. Um, and it was, you know, pretty widely accepted by the birding community as a mountain bluebird, mm. a female mountain bluebird, kind of that. Oh really yeah, pale yeah. Gray. I know where this is going. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, 
as people began looking at these photos, photos started coming out. Um, you know, it just wasn't shaped right. Right. And uh, it turned out that it was uh, like a leukistic or some sort of plumage abnormality uh, eastern bluebird that had the color of a of a female mountain blurber, that kind of mm. light blue gray, but it didn't have any any red anywhere on its body, no blue, no blue, like kind of that vibrant blue of an eastern bluebird anywhere on its body that even the females have. Um, yeah, it turned out to be a really pale plumage abnormality eastern bluebird instead of a mountain bluebird. It was kind of a neat, neat opportunity to look at the way those birds are, are shaped differently because eastern bluebird is kind of a big-headed bird and a very shouldery bird, whereas mountain bluebird is much more lithe. Looking at bill shapes important, of course, mm-hmm. if you can see it and if they're normal, the um, the exact uh, what we call the formula of the primaries is really uh, mm-hmm. important. Yeah, um, very long wing as well. Uh, well. Actually, where I thought you were going with this, it's a little bit different. Is um, western versus mountain in the winter, where some mountains uh, are, are, you know, that's that's the all blue bluebird. Mm-hmm. They're very red breasted. Some of them can be very very red breasted, hmm. and they can sure resemble the western bluebirds. For that reason. Oh, really? That's, hmm. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Hey, I, I, you, 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 we're always going all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, there's a glorious bird in, in East Asia, the, uh, the the Natalva, the vivid Natalva, um, that is freakishly similar <laughs> to the bluebirds, yeah. in, um, in, in especially Eastern blue. Well, Eastern and, and is it Western the bluebird. is it or the Grandala? I thought it was Grandala. Oh, has its name been changed? It was the uh, vivid Natalva when I saw well, it. You're probably right. Well, but, I can um, do a quick Google search. Yeah. Vivid Natalva is a name I've never heard before, but that's um, a that's a neat name. I know that actually. the so, so I, I, I haven't seen one in you know years, but um, we call them vivid Natalva. The um the scientific name I know is Natalva vivida, and I thought that we called them vivid Natalvas back in the day. I could be thinking of a totally different. No, bird. no, no. I probably had the name wrong. No, I'm thinking <laughs> of a different bird. So Grandala is a Grandala uh, coa color. So it's another sort of vivid blue. <laughs> Maybe that's okay. an East Asian thing. Yeah. Well, no, it's a Himalayan thing. So we're thinking of two different birds. I'm not sure this was, but anyhow, it doesn't matter. But anyhow, there, there's a bird that the last time I saw it was called the Vivid Natalva, and I couldn't get out of my mind the Eastern Western bluebirds when I saw it. I'm looking for it on. The okay. I keep wanting to say like Natalia. I was finding all these uh, um, Russian women. Anyway, <laughs> it's a weird. We're going all over the place here. Yeah, but... <laughs> all right, so we've we've been at this about 30 minutes. We'll do uh, we'll do one more. Let's get let's Great. get one more. Okay. Call the random number generator up. Uh, 334 it really wants us to stay down here in the in the, in the perching bird section okay. very much um brewers blackbird Ooh, yeah that's a good one for for your part of the woods yeah and especially for my uh for my past week um i was up in the, the steamboat springs area which is northwestern colorado uh, which i've sort of been mentioning <laughs> other connections earlier um it's just this super abundant bird yeah. especially yeah. at this time of of the year um Actually, one of my kids and I were just talking about, you know, what are the sort of defining sights and sounds of the Steamboat Springs area, especially when you get out of town, you're sort of in the drier uh, lowlands. And um, Sandhill Cranes, um, Swainson's Hawks, and and Brewer's Blackbirds. Oh, and Magpies. I should just put put, put that in there. Um, I mean, it's just the bird you see along roadsides, the way sort of you, know, you see yeah. like horned larks in winter in the Midwest or something uh, like that. So... Um, at this time of the year, they're sort of in this, they're in between their sort of two Jekyll and Hyde personalities. So um, in, in the winter months, they're famously associated with Burger King parking lots, you know, <laughs> the, the parking lot Blackbird. But what people don't appreciate is that in the um, summer months, they're, you know, 
boreal bog birds, you know, up there with um, winnowing snipes and pine grosbeaks, and yeah, from, from Rocky Mountain perspective, mm-hmm. um, you know, Clark's nutcrackers, you know, crossbills, things, and Brewer's blackbirds. You know, they're 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 you know vintage boreal birds. You know, you see like a Wilson's warbler or a, or a um, Lincoln sparrow in the summer, and like there's going to be a, a Brewer's blackbird nearby, and then in, 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 in winter parking lots. And at this time of the year, they're just gathering in. Um, in flocks in the triple digits all mm-hmm. over the sort of dry parts of, of Western Colorado. I think they're awesome birds. I, I, they have a really cool gasping sound. They're, they're, they're beautiful. They catch the light just right. They have that staring yellow eye. I think there's sort of a tendency to think of them as like a poor man's grackle because they're not mm-hmm. as long tailed and as spectacularly colorful as a grackle. Their sounds aren't quite as, you know, good if you will, but I, Brewer's blackbirds are really, really beautiful birds. I think it's a, a blessing that we get to see so many of them in the Northwestern part of the state. Yeah. I, I think about them as, uh, as very common where, where I grew up and where I have birded, um, mm-hmm. obviously in Missouri, uh, certainly in the western third of Missouri, there's a lot of brewers' blackbirds, especially at um, at silos, grain silos, yeah. things like that. You find brewers' blackbirds in, in Eurasian collar doves and rock pigeons and things like that all together. Um, in Texas, when I've birded South Texas, I think of them as like roadside rest stop birds. <laughs> like they're they're all over the place there. Um, here in here in North Carolina in the east, um, they're they're pretty local, but annual winter residents. And once again, it's an agricultural bird um i can think of the birds blackbirds i've seen most recently in uh, in this state they were um in a horse pen you know the horses are in these little corrals mm, right that's so everything typical. up and yeah and there's mm. like a little flock of about a dozen birds blackbirds kind of milling around right. uh, on the ground there uh and it's in the winter so a lot of in you know you find that like the very gray females and the very subdued sort of males um neat birds for sure when i don't get to see nearly as often as perhaps i would i would like to even in those giant blackboard flocks. Hey, if, if we're winding up, can I leave you with a, a fiendishly tri- um, difficult and esoteric qu- trivia quiz question? Of course. Okay, so um, over the summer, uh, Claire Wayner from the uh, Baltimore area was uh, out here in Boulder. We did a lot of birding with her. And during car rides, we came up with these uh, crazy four-letter code quizzes. And some mm-hmm. of them were just so obscure. But actually, one of them involves the... Uh, the Brewer's Blackbird, the uh, the Brewer's Sparrow, and actually the Brewster's Warbler, which is the uh, you know stereotyped hybrid of the um, uh, blue-winged and golden-winged warbler. So the question, though, is um, the first four letters of that bird's name, all three of those are, are B-R-E-W. The question is, what bird on the North American checklist actually has the banding code B-R-E-W? And I would say that unless you go to the website that Peter Paul has oh. created for us and looked up, you'll never, ever guess it. I was so shocked when I saw this. But there's a bird whose banding code is B-R-E-W. Like it's their common name. It's a derivation of the common name, right? Yeah, but it's a stretch how but they a got stretch it. one. Be, huh. Yeah. <laughs> B-R-E-W. I know. Uh, it's, is, it a, is it a warbler? Is it like black-throated gray warbler? No, it's warbler? Blythe's, Blythe's Reed Warbler. What? I know. So it's, a, it's, it's the B <laughs> from Blythe's, and then the uh-huh. R-E, R-E from Reed, yeah. and the W from Warbler. But yeah, Brew is not Brewer's Blackbird. It's not Brewer's Sparrow. It's not Brewster's Warbler. It's actually Blythe's the Reed Warbler. Blythe's Reed Warbler. So thanks to Claire Wayner for that one. <laughs> How many records of Blythe's Reed Warbler are there in... How many times have that been uh, so, banded in North America? <laughs> right. Okay. So, um, t- two, I believe. I think the oh, first one was, I, I, I want to avoid honestly. controversy, <laughs> but it was controversial for reasons of like methodology more than anything else. And I believe there was a second Blythe Street Warbler as well. Mm. 
Huh. Again, that's one of these things where just folks, just so you know, Nate and I are really just pulling stuff out of thin air here. <laughs> I do have a question uh, for you about uh, <laughs> Brewer's Blackbird, though. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, Back to the bird that we actually are supposed to be talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, obviously famous, the, the bird names for birds. Uh, folks are trying to raise awareness of people, birds named after people, Brewer's Blackbird named after was it Thomas Mayo? Thomas, I think so. Brewer. Yeah. I'm not exactly yeah. sure. But yeah. What he was, he was an ornithologist uh, in the mid 19th century. If you were to change the name of Brewer's Blackbird, what would you change it to? Yeah, you know, so um, boy, what what a can of worms question. <laughs> I, I, I actually Rest am Blackbird. So, 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 so I do like um, the occasional, you know, just way out there, evocative you know, powerful, strange name, you know, I, mm-hmm. I know, you know, Whippoorwill, Chuck Will's, oh, sorry, Eastern Whippoorwill, Chuck Will's Widow, uh, Vivid Natalva, or whatever that bird is called now. Um, and uh, that was in Taiwan, but or for anybody who wants to look that up. But, oh, but, yeah, so um, totally yeah, different so, bird I mean, I for, for Brewer's Blackbird, you know, the um, the scientific name is what, you know, Cyanocephalus, blue-headed. I mean, I don't, I mean, this, it is a fairly bluish black bird. Um, I don't know, I, you know, the, you know, parking lot blackbird, I think it's sort of silly and facetious, although boy, <laughs> a bit it, anthropos- sure, anthropos- um, yeah, I don't know. I, um, you should, yeah, you I don't know if it has here. like any, any older names that where it has been known by. I mean, it, yeah. it seems like birds like blackbirds in particular are, are very overlooked by a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you could think that for a very long time, it was probably not thought of as much more than a, than a small grackle and, you know, they kind of hang out with it. And so it was, it took, Someone to come along and, and shoot one and notice that it was. I'm going to go different. off on, on, on limb here. I would guess that like, if you went to uh, Arthur Cleveland Bent's books, there's got to be an alternative name for mm-hmm. it. Um, we can we can talk about that uh, that next time. But um, yeah, you know, um, it is sort of a bog blackbird, although yeah. the, bro- uh, the rusty blackbird certainly qualifies uh, there. But you know, it, it's okay for a bird to have a name that doesn't necessarily refer exclude all the other birds um, in that um, in that genus or in, in, in that grouping like that so um if you call it you know the the bog blackbird that would very well describe its um its breeding uh, yeah behavior. and and not too far off of its um you know winter stuff as well i mean it, there are kind of in wet fields and wet wet areas wet muddy places but so is yep. rusty blackbird but. but also horse pastures horse so, yeah. pastures yeah. i don't know if a horse pasture blackbird quite does it for you or not but <laughs> not really still feels a little anthropocentric um the, I, there are a couple uh, interesting trivia uh, bits about Thomas Mayo Brewer. Um, okay. You can shed some light on the people for whom these birds are named. Um, uh, he also has a, a duck named after him, which turned oh, out to be right, a, that, uh, uh, that a hybrid. hybrid. Between like Gadwall and Mallard? Exactly. Or, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, a, and a shrew mole that's oh. found on Martha's Vineyard. Brewer's shrew mole. And uh, here's another funny bit of trivia uh, he and elliot coos were a bit, apparently at odds about the house sparrow um coos wanted yeah, to the house, kill them the house sparrow wars right yeah right, brewer, yeah. brewer defended them yeah. yeah um hey one thing i'll say about brewer and this is a pretty weak defense i realize but um <laughs> at least brewer is um is an ABA area figure. Um, <laughs> yeah. I guess I especially bristle at Bird's name for again, no diss on Europe. I admire and emulate and esteem Europe in, in many, many ways. But uh, but European naturalists from the 19th and 18th centuries who you know in some cases never saw in the wild in life the organisms yeah. uh, for which they are named. Rivoli's hummingbird. Come on. There, there's a there's a very good example of one. But uh, <laughs> but I was thinking even you know sort of more prominent naturalists like you know Swainson or Swainson, somebody yeah. uh, like, like, like that. But yeah, my guess is that um, Brewer, who was um, you know a a, um, a quite competent uh, ornithologist, yeah. probably did have some experience with the um, with the Brewer's blackbird. Although I, I don't know that either. 
Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I guess he was a buddy of uh, Audubon's. Um, I don't know exactly who gave the name. It might have been. No, apparently, it's uh, it was Waggler that gave him the name. I don't know. Oh, yeah, as in the Oriole, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He was a <laughs> yeah. German. You know, it's funny how all these people are connected. So <laughs> he, he talk, yeah, I mean, literally an old boys network. Yeah, that's very right. much. Yeah. Yeah. Old <laughs> yeah, network. Dead boys yeah. network now. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, that's uh, we, we've come up on 40 minutes. Uh, All right. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, save the rest for, for the next time I do. I have made a note of the birds we talked about, so hopefully we won't have any repeats. And funnily enough, we didn't. We still got. Well, we still got like three hundred. We still have about three. About. I was just going to say about three hundred seventy-five. <laughs> we could we could milk this forever. Anyway, uh, I will say uh, goodbye to you today, yep. Ted. Yep. They, all, all, always fun, and, and again, just I, I feel paranoid saying this, but always uh, so extemporaneous and just <laughs> pulling stuff out of thin air. I, I, I greatly enjoyed that. And people but, uh, like it. People yeah, like and, and I would welcome any uh, feedback from, from from listeners if you want to correct uh, Nate and me on something we said yes. about the uh, the status and distribution of you know the uh, the red-breasted brigamser or something. You know, we'd love to hear about yeah, that. Status, hit hit us on on, on social medias and. Uh, on the on the website where these podcasts are stored in uh, in perpetuity. And if it's a major urgent matter, consider writing a ma- article for for Birding Magazine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Synergy. Great. That's publication synergy. Anyway, anyway it was good okay. to talk to you, Ted. Yep, uh, we'll likewise. Yep. Thanks so much. Bye, Nate. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to help support us, you can join the ABA. You get our great magazines, discounts to our partners, travel opportunities with ABA staff and friends. It is definitely more than you would get from just supporting a podcast. Otherwise, to learn more, check out aba.org slash join. I do have some shout outs to make this week, two weeks worth because I was gone last week. Thank you to Jay Havoc of Seattle, Washington, Jennifer Weber of Westfield, Indiana, Crystal Whitehead of Matawan, New Jersey, Marie Moulton of Salt Lake City, Utah, Joshua Gordon of New York, New York, Tammy Stark of Cottage Grove, Oregon, Charles Von Rosbach of Silverdale, Washington, Jeremy Prendiville of Santa Rosa Valley, California, and Sandy Hamilton of San Jose, California, who notes that she learned about this podcast from the Santa Clara Valley Audubon Society. Thanks to everybody in the Santa Clara Valley Audubon Society. All of these folks joined the ABA recently and noted the podcast as a reason. Thank you all so much for that. Executive producer of the podcast and president of the ABA is Jeff Gordon, who noted that the Japanese name for short-tailed albatross is Ahudori, which means idiot bird, funnily enough, which makes the whole California thing an Ahudori moral story. Ten Gold Production is by John Lowry, who further notes that the specifics of the incident make it an Ahudori moral story follow for it. Additional help comes from Greg Neese and David Hartley, who shook their heads at the whole thing, stating it was hardly a laudatory Ahudori moral story falafore. You can find us online at aba.org or on social media as American Birding Association or ABA. Make sure it is the right ABA. I do hope that this string of nonsense isn't a condemnatory Ahudori moral story falafore, but I can't deny that these credits are something of an auditory shaggy dog story. Questions, comments, corrections can come to podcast.aba.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. See you next week.